Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, April the 1st, 2022. It is currently 4.52 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, I need to give a warning before we even move forward in any way, shape, or form. You need to know we're going to be talking about some very adult themes that come directly from the scriptures, but we're going to be talking about them in a direct and blunt way. So I want you to be warned if you have children around, whatever you need to do, you take the necessary precautions, but I don't want anyone to say that they were not warned. The following content will be definitely uh, for mature audiences. I think that's the best way to describe this, all right? So I'm going to give everyone a minute, turn the volume down, turn it off, walk away, put in headphones. I'm going to give you a minute. I'm just going to give everyone a second. I hope everyone's having a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in. However you may be listening, um, I greatly appreciate it. If you're listening on the Church One app, we appreciate that. If you're listening via the Spreaker app, we appreciate that. Um, if you're listening on a pod, one of uh, on the Theology Central pod page, we appreciate that. All the different ways that you can be listening to us live, we greatly appreciate it. All right, I think we are. Uh, I think I've given everyone uh, ample time. All right, so let's do this. I'm gonna get everything ready. Here we go. I hope everyone is ready. I hope everyone is ready. Give me one second here. Just lost. There we go. I was like, oh no, don't lose that page. All right, here we go. Yesterday, I did a live broadcast, and I did a live broadcast on the biblical text of Scripture that deal with rape. Sometimes these are referred to as the rape text, and this dealt with the fact that the Bible speaks in a number of places about sexual violence, and we were listening to a podcast, and, and the podcast is Mere Fidelity, merefidelity.com. I challenged everyone to go listen to the rest of it. Hopefully you have. You can go back and listen to my last broadcast. I made a lot of uh, important points, but they stated that in many cases, churches avoid many of the passages of scripture that would be referred to as a rape text. They just overlook it or they say, okay, here, here's kind of, here's sexual violence. And then they, in many cases, kind of turn the moral of the story to something else. They almost like the, the, the person who was sexually abused is just kind of like, we are, they're almost pushed aside and forgotten because we don't want to deal with how uncomfortable that subject is. But we live in a culture where there's been much discussion, obviously, about sexual assault sexual harassment, and rape. And it is good that the culture has brought these very horrible crimes to light. It could be bad that maybe the church, where we have a Bible that deals with this a lot, wasn't more vocal about the subject. But but at the same time, many feel like that, how do you preach this? How do you deal with these texts about rape and sexual violence from the pulpit where it's so... like? How do you do that? Because almost no matter what you say or no matter what you do, you're probably going to end up offending someone and possibly someone won't come back to your church or will leave. And so how do you handle this? Well, how to handle it in church? I do agree. It raises lots of serious questions. And how do you work this? And who's going to be there? And what it raises questions. But I, but I, what I can or figuring out what to do behind the pulpit as everyone sits there and tries to figure that out. 
I know this, every church in the United States of America in 2022 has the technology available to them to turn on a microphone and talk about any issue and every issue 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why they don't use that technology, I'm still baffled by, but we can talk about it. So I was challenged, all right? There's these texts in scripture that talk about sexual violence, that talk about rape. We need to talk about them. So we're going to begin right now a series where we're going to work through a, a large portion, if not all, of the text in Scripture that would speak of sexual violence and rape. We're not going to necessarily put these in chronological order. We are just going to grab them and deal with them and talk about them and hopefully uh, it will benefit someone greatly by having a frank and honest discussion with these passages of Scripture. Um, and, and we could try to put, maybe at times we'll put them in some kind of order. Who knows? What we're going to do is just try to address each one and not be afraid of the difficult questions. Not be afraid of how it makes us uncomfortable. And one of the things I'm going to try to do is not just simply go, well, you know, yes, there was sexual violence here, but let's look at this part. Let's let's focus on this. No, let's deal with the sexual violence in the passage of Scripture. So I'm not going to be looking for other applications or other moral lessons. We're going to focus on the sexual violence. And that doesn't mean in the taking the passage apart that I may not mention other things. I'm just saying that I'm going to try to put the focus where I believe the focus needs to be. So we're going to, we're going to begin this. If there's a text of scripture that you want me to cover, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Those in the Discord channel, feel free to give me your list. Um, to the person who already uh, posted their list, go ahead and post it in the in the in the in the general or in the homework uh, channel on Discord, so that everyone else can see it and see if if their passage of scripture that has bothered them or caused them to question things has been listed. Anyone on YouTube, you can place it in the comment section, and we're just going to do our best to, to deal with these texts of scripture. It's going to be uncomfortable. Look, trust me, and there's not going to be easy answers. And just if, if you're not familiar with our Bible study exercise, I almost decided to make this series a part of the Bible study exercise because some of these episodes will be done like a Bible study exercise. In fact, I may go back and put this in the Bible study exercise category, and here's the reason why. The Bible study exercise, remember the goal is to move you from a passive listener to an active participant where I do some of the teaching and then I give you things to look up and things to do or, or put forth questions, hypotheses, or a theory and let you work on it and try to figure it out. And I do some of the teaching and some of it I do just more in a questioning form. So I may do a little bit of that here, uh, especially with the passage that we're going to be looking at today because this passage raises all kinds of questions. But I hope that this will be beneficial. And hopefully we just, I, I, look, I don't, you may say, so what's your goal? The goal is that we look at all the text. The goal is that we are forced to look at the text and deal with what's actually there. The goal isn't that I'm going to come up with some profound insight into sexual violence uh, and, and culture and the world that I'm going to, I'm just going to say here, the, this is, these are the passages of scripture that deal with it in the Bible. Here's what seems to be clear from these texts. That's what we're, I'm just making sure we look at the text of scripture. I'm not claiming any brilliant insight into this, but I think the passages of scripture that talk about it 
well, I think they do challenge us. Maybe, maybe they will challenge us to have a more biblical view on this particular subject. Are you ready? And I'm not, again, I'm not afraid in any way, shape, or form of uncomfortable questions. And I, and I mean, we're just going to have to deal with it. I mean, it's, it's right here. In fact, it shows up pretty early. Shows up in the book of Genesis. And we're going to go to a very famous story. I think often gets overlooked, right? And there's much dispute about it. So we're going to look at all the different theories in, in regards to it. Here we go. Genesis chapter 9. Let's go to verse 20. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. All right. Now here is Noah. He has built the ark. The flood has come. All, all the people on the earth, other than the people on, 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 in the ark, have been killed. That's a horrible and tragic story. All kinds of people have died. Uh, he, the, now he has gotten off the ark, right? So the world, in a sense, all of that wickedness and all of that sin, you could argue, well, it, it's been purged away. It's been destroyed. And as soon as they get off the ark, we learn that not only were they carrying animals on that ark, they were carrying something else, and I think this is a very key part of this story, and I think it's a key lesson here, right? So I want to make it very clear. Go back to Genesis 6. I, I just think that this is, I, I think we cannot forget this, all right? Genesis chapter 6. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, but that he is that he also is flesh and his days shall be 120 years old. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that were the sons of God coming unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. And the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. There was great wickedness and sin on the earth. And God sends the flood, in a sense, to wash that away, to destroy it. But he puts some people on the ark. And when that ark opens and those people step off the ark, let me make it very clear. Not only were people transported by that ark, not only were animals transported by that ark, I think this is a key element. Sin nature was carried on that ark that you can wipe out. This is, I, I just, before we even get anywhere into this story, I, I just, I want to drive this point home. You can wipe Hollywood off the face of the earth. You can wipe off Netflix. You can boycott Disney. You can get rid of Disney. You can get rid of all bad movies, bad music, bad video games. You can literally purify this earth into the, the, the moral standard that you think the world needs. You can just clean it all up. You can get rid of the LGBTQ movement. You can get rid of everything. And you can look back and go, look, look, we have purified the earth. Look at it. Look how amazing it is. We have purified it. All that sin is gone. All that wickedness is gone. Well, the minute you walk by a mirror, you're going to realize it hasn't. Because as long as one person is still breathing, 
as long as one human being is walking on this earth, guess what? Sin is still present. I don't know how many people were wiped out in the flood, but every person on the earth, other than the the people in the ark, were killed, all gone. As soon as the door of the ark opens and they get out, boom, we're going to have sin. It doesn't take long for sin to begin to spread. It doesn't take long and you have lying, killing, cheating. You have every, you have sexual sin. You have everything going on. Not soon after. Because the people who got off the ark had a sin nature. I cannot stress that enough. And I think this is key to this story. Everybody was wicked. The rest of six, seven, and eight, you get the building of the ark. You've got the flood. You've got everyone dying. And then verse 20, you finally, the, you have the ark landing on dry land. Finally, the door is opened, right? And Noah, as soon as he gets off the ark, he begins to be a husbandman and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. He's, he's off the ark. Now he's drunk and he has no clothes on. He's nude. He is, he is nude and he is drunk. The great Noah, the man of faith, is drunk and with no clothes. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, what is going on here? And first, why is Canaan being cursed? Wasn't it? Go back and just look what happened. Um, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren. Wasn't it Ham who saw it? Wasn't it Ham who was involved? Why is Canaan being, why is he being the one cursed? What's going on in this text of scripture? And why am I using this passage of scripture first for a series dealing with texts that deal with sexual violence? Does sexual violence occur in this text? Some say yes. Many say no. We're going to look at it, and I'm going to get you to do a lot of your, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we're going to look at this and see what we can come up with. And what we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to turn, I'm going to ignore all other sources right now, and we're going to look to a Jewish commentary from a rabbi. We're going to go to a Jewish rabbi to address this subject. Now, I'm not going to play audio. We're just going to read through a lot of this um, and just kind of see how they, they, they think about it and the kind of the arguments that are made. There's gr- agreement and disagreement. I think there's a lot to consider here. So put your thinking caps on 
And we may have to, we may have to do a part two on this because there's going to be massive disagreement here, right? There's going to be, no, the only thing that happened is someone walked in and saw, saw that Noah was, had, was nude, had no clothes on, saw his nakedness, and they go back and tell, and Canaan, he, he must have, there was something he must have done, and he gets cursed, and and, and we kind of, we kind of move on, but is there something more sinister, something really horrible that went down here that we definitely need to talk about? Is there? Well, let, let's see what, how the Jewish rabbi handles this. All right, here we go. All right. This comes from an article called Noah, Ham, and the Curse of Canaan. Who did what to whom in the tent? A new solution to why Canaan, not Ham, was cursed. So, who did what to whom in the tent? What actually happened in that tent? And why is Canaan cursed and not Ham? What, what happened here? Following the story of the flood, Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk in his tent. Then they have the Hebrew here and they have the English translation. Here's what they have here. And they have a picture here of... Uh, of what happened in the tent, or at least what they, what some people may perceive to have happened in the tent from a painting from like, I don't know when, was this in the 1800s? Okay. It's a, it's an, it's an early painting. And uh, yeah, there you go. So yeah, you, you, we, we could talk about that. All right. I guess it's supposed to be the p- painting is supposed to represent Shem and Japheth, I guess, trying to cover his father's nakedness, I guess is what this is supposed to be trying to demonstrate. The way it looks is it looks like yeah, you'd have to see the picture. It's, it's really, the painting is really odd looking, but okay. Here's the translation. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brethren who were outside. When Noah awoke from his drunken stupor, he learned what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, curse be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, he will be to his fathers. Why does Noah express such a severe curse for the seemingly minor sin of observing his nakedness. Why, why, why does he cursed? You, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be the lowest of slaves. That's what you're going to be. Whoa, what, what just happened? I mean, you're the one who got drunk. You're the one who got nude. Like what, like what, what, it, what, what happened here? You get drunk. You take off all your clothes. Someone sees you in that state and they're cursed. Well, wait a minute. What? What what did Canaan do? Like, something doesn't quite make sense here. Let's see what they go on to say. Um, what did Noah's youngest son do? As already anticipated by the rabbis and suggested by some modern scholars, an earlier version of our story, probably, 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 if I can say the word right, probably related a much more severe crime. Let me do that again. As already anticipated by the rabbis and suggested by many modern scholars or some modern scholars, an early version of our story probably related a much more severe crime. So many have rabbis and other biblical scholars have suggested something, something more serious happened here. It does. It does. The punishment doesn't seem to make sense. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. Something happened here. What happened? And who, why is that person being punished? What exactly is going on? Now, this is important. Whenever you read a text of scripture and it's just like, something just doesn't, it just, it doesn't fit. It's just like, wait, that, 
There's something else. Had Sometimes the text kind of screams at you, there's more here. There's more here. You, you've, you've got to look a little deeper. There's more here. And maybe this is one of those texts. Right. Now, here we go. According to some, I hope your children are, 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 are removed away. All right, here we go. According to some scholars, the story actually is about the homosexual rape of his father when he was drunk. According to some scholars, what takes place here is the homosexual rape of Noah when he was drunk. This indeed is the kind of offense that would most naturally provoke the severe reaction depicted in the text. This assumption also accounts for the formulation of verse 24. Please note, I'm going to read this. Noah awoke from his drunken stupor and knew what his youngest son had done to him. Now, uh, some translations say he learned. He learned what had been done to him. Some, some translations have that. But it seems that he knew, like the minute he wakes up, he knew what happened. He knew something happened. If his son had only looked at him, how would Noah have known? That, that's, that's some speculation here, right? Some would say, well, he woke up and learned. That's why some translations have learned, that he woke up and found out, oh, you saw me. Okay, well, cursed be you, right? Like, okay, is, is, that, is that what happened? Or did he wake up and he knew that something had taken place? So if he'd only looked, how would he have known when he woke that this had occurred? Further, the final words had done to him imply a much more concrete and physical act than mere gazing. Again, this is from a Jewish perspective. So their, their, their argument is that, that's, that that phrase there seems to imply something physical, something tangible occurred, not just simply looking, but a physical act occurred. All right, um, now, this is very important. Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. Now, they, they throw in a reference here that we're, we're going to look at in a minute. I'm going to skip the reference they give here because I, I think it could lead. I, I want to build one case and then I'll play devil's advocate, all right? But here is a passage of scripture that they consider. Leviticus chapter 20. Right, Leviticus chapter 20. I'm going to mark Genesis 9. Let's go to Levit Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness, and see his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He hath uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. Now, according to Jewish perspective, the phrase, this is very important, Leviticus 20.17 shows that seeing nakedness is a euphemism for sex. 
All right. Here is how some translations, this is how uh, translating it from the Hebrew here uh, from a, a Jewish rabbi, he translates it this way, Leviticus 2017. If a man has sexual intercourse with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or mother, so that he sees her nakedness and, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. They must be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He is exposed to sis- sister's nakedness. He will bear his punishment for iniquity. Most likely, the phrase Noah's nakedness and his becoming be revealed inside his tent was meant, meant to evoke the theme of incest. A revealing of nakedness serves as a euphemism for incest and the prohibition of Leviticus. Leviticus 18.6, none of you shall come near any one of his own flesh to uncover nakedness. That's Leviticus 18.6. I'll read it from the King James. Leviticus 18.6. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. It seems that the Bible seems to use this phraseology of uncovering the nakedness as a euphemism for sexual intercourse. This would be not only sexual intercourse and incestual sexual intercourse, it would be obviously a, a homosexual type of sexual intercourse. And not only that, it would be clear rape because Noah was drunk and obviously had no would, would have been given had not given any consent to it. So you have incest, you have homosexuality, you possibly have rape right there as soon as they get off the ark. That to me maybe the key of understanding the story but let let I'm going to try to play devil's advocate here all right in a minute so thus the sin in the original narrative is not homosexual sex itself but forced incest of a son with his father in a situation where the father has no ability to defend himself this would explain the harshness of the father's curse now i know what someone someone may say well wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so what's the covering? Why do they back in and cover? That doesn't make any sense. That, that's a good question. No, but what about that? Some may say, see, it, it can't refer to the other. It can't refer to the other because all they did was they back up and cover his nakedness. Let, let's see how the Jewish rabbi handles this. How then, how then do we explain the part of the story in which Noah's other sons entered the tent and covered their father without looking at him? Genesis 9.23, Shem and Japheth took the garment, placed it on their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards, covered up their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they did not see their father's nakedness. This clearly implies that Canaan's sin was gazing and nothing more. Nevertheless, I believe that the evidence in favor of sexual interpretation is too strong to, to simply dismiss. So, so they say that this would imply to some that, hey, there, there was nothing more than just looking. But the... the, the they say that there's too much in the text to deny a sexual interpretation. In other words, the whole uncovering of the nakedness is a euphemism that's used elsewhere. And that just it just seems to imply that he knew what happened to him. Something physical and tangible had to happen to him. Now, you, I'm just giving you both concepts here, right? Now, um, now here... 
is a, an interesting. There, there's a lot more they add to this. There's a lot more they add to this, and I will post this uh, this article in the Discord channel so that everyone can read it. Uh, but they go on to ask this question: Why why curse Canaan and not Ham? The original story about for, forced rape of a father would explain why Noah would curse his youngest son so harshly. But Canaan is not Noah's youngest son. Japheth is. In fact, Canaan isn't Noah's son at all. For this reason, many scholars suggest that in the earlier form of the story, Canaan must have been Noah's youngest son, not Japheth. Without the redaction, without the redaction supplement of Ham, the father of, would have originally read Ham, father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness. It indeed makes perfect sense to accept the reconstruction of verse 22 and assume that if the story concludes with the cursing of Canaan, Canaan must have been the original youngest son culprit of the story. Now, the only problem here with this Jewish interpretation, they're claiming that the story was basically changed and it was messed with. All right. I'm not, I, I, I reject that because I believe in the inspiration of the Bible and the inerrancy of Scripture. This is trying to argue that they had, they had to mess with it because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Like, hey, we're going we're gonna to cover up who was really guilty here. Like, or like, you know, what, what, like it, what, what was going on? Why would they change that? Um, the, on the other hand, the idea that Canaan was Noah's youngest son is difficult Verse 18 and 19, which introduce the non-priestly account here, state that Noah's three sons are Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and they are the, uh, they are the progenerators of the world. Moreover, the nation list in chapter 10, priestly and non-priestly alike, treat Ham as the father of Canaan and the progenerator of nations. Canaan and his offspring are, the, are only a subgroup under Ham. In other words, to try to make some argument that it was just changed doesn't fit with everything around it, which seems to show where Canaan actually fit in in the story. All right? So they go on to say, Thus I suggest that the story was not originally about Noah at all, but about Ham, and its original place was likely in chapter 10 as a part of the count of the descent of the Hamite nations. All right? And they go in chapter 10, verse 6, And the sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Hut, and, Can- and Canaan. Ham, a man of the soil, began to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of the wine, he got drunk and uncovered himself in his tent. They argue that the original story was actually about Ham. All right. Again, they're, they're making claims that the text was changed or the text was corrupted. All right. Um, if, if our story tells that, if, if the story tells us that a youngest son saw the nakedness of his father, and that father cursed Canaan, we, should, we could naturally conclude that the father must have been Ham, whose youngest son was Canaan, chapter 10, verse 6. When the editor changed the original sinning from Canaan to Ham, he was forced to change the sexually compromised father from Ham to Ham's father, Noah. So they, they're arguing that, it, that this all was changed, and, and, and they're just making a lot of assumptions there, right? They don't give any... They're just saying it doesn't fit, so we've got we've to just assume that the story was changed and we'll make a lot of guesses. I, I reject all of that. Here's what we seem to know. Why Canaan is cursed, we'll, we'll have to try to figure that out in a minute, but it seems this. Clearly something happens to Noah. It seems to be something severe because the curse is severe. 
The uncovering of nakedness seems, in other parts of the Old Testament, seems to be a euphemism for some form of sexual intercourse, meaning that something happened sexually to Noah. That seems to be a good argument for it. So, let's do this. Let's consider a different source. This this is from a Jewish perspective. Let's now look at it from a, 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 a... evangelical Christian perspective and see what they have to say in regards to this, all right? In this article, why did Noah curse Ham slash Canaan? They quote Genesis 9, 20 through 25, and they say this. Why did Noah curse Canaan when it was Ham who saw him naked? Why was Noah so angry that Ham saw him naked? Some propose that Ham and or Canaan actually did something to Noah in addition to seeing him naked. The passage mentions that Noah was angry when he found out what his youngest son had done to him. Homosexuality, rape, and humiliation are frequently mentioned as possibilities. One rabbinic teaching is that Ham or Canaan, again, we're, we're going we're gonna to go far with this, all right, okay, castrated his father. That, that's, I'm told you that there's going to be some mature themes. That is a rabbinic teaching. However, the text nowhere states what Ham did to Noah. Any theory of what is speculation. I agree. Another view arises out of comparison with Leviticus 20.11. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. With Leviticus 20.11 in mind, some propose that Ham had sex with, it, with Noah's wife, and that was brought, and that was what brought the curse from Noah. However, The figurative understanding of uncovering nakedness fails to account for the fact that Shem and Japheth walked into the room backwards and uncovered Noah with the garment. This does not make any sense if uncovering nakedness means having sex with Noah's wife. It definitely seems that Noah was lying naked and his nakedness uncovered. Like what I'm trying to show you is all kinds of theories here of what's going on. Whatever took place between Ham and Noah, why did Noah curse Ham's son Canaan? when Canaan is nowhere mentioned as having done anything. The Bible does not specifically answer the question. Ham was Noah's youngest son, and Canaan was probably Ham's youngest son. The youngest son who ministered, who mistreated Noah seems to be a reference to Ham, but another option is that it actually refers to Canaan, Noah's youngest grandson. Calling a grandson a son is not uncommon in Scripture. This would mean that Canaan was somewhat involved in the sword incident. And that is why Noah specifically mentions him in the curse. Ham saw his father's condition and did nothing about it except tell his brothers. Reading between the lines, we assume that Ham's son did more than see, but participated in his grandfather's degradation. Now, let's go back to Genesis. Let's read it and see what we can do here. Noah begins to be a husbandman, plants a vineyard, he gets drunk. He uncovers, he takes off all of his clothes. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Now, he's the father of Canaan. Canaan's the one's going to get cursed. 
So is there something missing here? In other words, not told. He walks in and sees his father's nakedness. Does he walk in and see? If we understand this idea of seeing nakedness as being a a euphemism for basically sexual intercourse, does Ham walk in and see the degradation, see the crime, see the rape, and doesn't do anything about it and simply goes out and tells his brothers? And then Noah's laying there after the fact, exposed, humiliated, degraded, all of the negative consequences. So they walk in, not even wanting to look and covering him up. And then Noah wakes up knowing what, knowing what, the, what his youngest son had done unto him, right? And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be unto his brethren. It, it, Canaan had to be involved somehow. I mean, he's the one who gets cursed. He has to be involved in somehow. What actually took place? Now, I'm I'm just going to throw in another passage here of Scripture. Because it does raise, Noah wakes up and knows. Noah wakes up and knows. Um, Is it Genesis... Let me find the passage. I think the rabbis, uh, the uh, the rabbinic teaching mentions it. Let me see if I can find it from a rabbinic source, from a a Jewish source. Um, Let's see if we can find it here. I think it's Genesis 19. We have Genesis 19. I don't know why I was thinking 39. Genesis 19. All right. Now, we have another one of those texts that deals with sexual violence and rape. We have Lot's daughters getting their father drunk. Once again, it involves incest. Once again, it involves having relations with someone who cannot give consent. Look what happens, uh, Genesis 19.35. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay down with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Indicating he didn't know what was going on. Now, he didn't know Genesis 6 or Genesis 9 has Noah waking up and knowing. Now, does that contrast give us any indication that when he's drunk, he didn't know what happened. But when he woke up, something so severe had happened that he knows. He, he, He knows. Now, again, some would translate it that he learned. But if it just they just saw him, him 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 naked, why why would they be why would anyone be punished? It was his fault. He's the one who got drunk and took off all of his clothes. Now, there's a lot here we could talk about. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things here that needs to be said, and it's going to, it's gonna bother some people, but that's okay. It needs to be said. I think it needs to be said within a Christian context. All right, so first, let's just get some some things out of the way. What actually happened here, I don't know. It's a crazy story. It, and you heard all of the different, well, you know, the Jew, some of the Jewish sources, well, the text was changed, and it's really Ham. Ham, it really happened to Ham, and they, and they decide to change it, and, well, next thing you know, it, that, that just start, begins to destroy any integrity of the Bible, and you can't trust the Bible. So I, I won't go with the Jewish sources there, because they don't give any clear evidence to prove that the text was changed. Other than the text is difficult and it doesn't make any sense. To me, instead of changing the text and trying to rewrite the text for it to make sense, how about we just acknowledge clearly Canaan is cursed. He had to be involved somehow. 
Ham sees it and tells whatever he sees. He sees the uh, uncovering of his father's nakedness. If we understand that to be a reference to sexual, uh, you know, intercourse, then he witnesses some kind of sexual intercourse. And clearly Canaan is the one is cursed. He had to be involved in it. Uh, to me, it's easier just to go with that than to try to say that whole text has to be rewritten and we got to change different names and who was involved. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. I think, I think we can make this make sense. So you can, you can go with no, no sexual anything happened and it just saw their father without clothing. You can go that direction if you want. I, I think it's still, it just seems odd that, that it, how everything plays out. But I'm going to say this. While you try to figure all of that out, we can draw the following very important lesson. To me, one of the key elements that jump out here, I think this is very important, is that even those whom God, they found grace in the eyes of God, they were allowed to survive. They were allowed to survive the, the purging of all of the wickedness on earth. Those who were on the boat, who were supposedly godly and morally superior to everyone else because everyone else is destroyed and drowned, even those people who get off the boat are not morally superior. They're morally compromised because they had a sinful nature. The difference is they found grace in the eyes of God, not because they were somehow better than everyone else, because clearly we see what happens. The story of Noah and them is a story of grace. That's, that's I think, very important a lesson to learn. But it, it demonstrates that they had the sinful nature in them. And I think so many times Christians think that if we can just get rid of all of the sin in the world, we can get rid of it, we can purge it, we can boycott it, censor it, yell about it, scream it, protest it, that we're going to fix everything. The problem is inside of you. Close every negative thing down on this earth and you're going to find a way to sin. And isn't it amazing that the, that the sin that possibly happened here, isn't it amazing that the sin that possibly happened here is one of, of a sexual nature where possibly there was rape and incest? demonstrating how powerful our sinful nature is to corrupt anything dealing with sex. But this is very important. If a sexual sin does take place here, if Noah was drunk and Noah had no clothes on, I'm about to get really rude here. I'm about to get really blunt here. For some people, sometimes it's men. When a rape takes place, it has been, I've heard it said, I've, I've read it being said, that sometimes when a rape takes place, the, the focus comes sometimes is immediately placed on well, what was the woman doing? Why was she in his apartment at 2 a.m.? What was she expecting to happen? What was she wearing? Where was she at? Why was she in that part of town? Why was she wearing that? And we put the responsibility on the victim and blame the victim. 
Noah was completely nude and drunk. But whatever was done to him, it was a sin to do that to him. We sometimes put the blame on the victim. Well, what did she expect? What was she thinking? Why was she doing this? That is horrific. That is horrible. And that kind of nonsense needs to get out of the mouth of of believers because we should not say that. I don't care if what the woman is wearing. She can be walking down the street without any clothing on. No one has the right to touch her or to abuse her. It is wrong. I don't care if it's three in the morning. I don't care if she's completely drunk. You do not have the right. And I've been in a very similar situation. There was a girl, first girl and, and that I guess I technically ever really had a crush on. In high school, I was a freshman. They just moved from England. They weren't like all the country kids that I went to school with that I did not fit in. They knew the same bands, everything. And I was like, this girl's the most awesome thing I've ever, I've, I've ever met. She's, she, she's like me. So I, I wanted to date her, come to find out. She was a, she was a lesbian. So that, that ended that. There was, there was no thing. I, tried, I became friends with her, friends with her sister, friends with the family, and hung out with them. We talked about music, listened to music. Everything was wonderful and everything was great. They're over at my house. I don't know where my parents were. My parents went out of town, which is constant. Typically, we can get into everything crazy. But craziness erupted in that house that night, all right? People brought alcohol, and she got absolutely, completely drunk. I mean, gone drunk. Gone. I mean, she was, it it was way too, too much. And she comes walking into the kitchen. Her, her, she's taken her pants off, Right. And she walks up and kisses me, and I, she's drunk. This is the girl I've been—I've had a crush on. Now, I immediately realized this is this is not right. This is not right. So, pushed back, tried to take her to a room so that I could put her in bed, cover her up, shut the door, and be done with it. Well, I was going to—I I thought everything was safe and everything was okay until I realized that there were other guys in the party who were a little drunk who were going, getting ready to make, well, their way to that bedroom. Well, you know that I, I cannot say what was going to happen because I don't want to speculate, but I, I put it this way. I thought something bad was going to happen, so I had to threaten them and say no and basically make people leave so that she would be okay. Now, guess what? She put herself in a vulnerable position, but no one had a right to touch her. No one had a right to do anything. In fact, I should not even have kissed. When she tried to kiss me, I should have stopped the kiss immediately. That was even wrong. Because she was drunk. Now, she didn't take off all of her clothes. Thank goodness. But if she would have taken, if she would have come walking in there without any clothes on. Guess what? It would have been wrong to touch her. Sometimes we, we tra- this story demonstrates that no matter what condition Noah was in, it was wrong to do anything to him. It was wrong. This is a valuable lesson. 
Do it doesn't matter the situation. If someone is drunk and someone is nude, they cannot give consent. You are not to touch or abuse. It is wrong. That needs to be drilled. I can't speak for women, but I will say it needs to be drilled into the head of every young man and every man that because so many times the blame gets put on the on the woman. There'll be some story of some Maybe a woman being raped by a professional athlete, and they'll be like, well, what did she expect? She went to his apartment at 2 a.m. If she said no, that's the end of it. These these things have to be talked about within the church context. I know the church doesn't want to talk about this. That's why I'm doing it in a podcast, because trying to have these discussions from the pulpit, you can see, would be extremely uncomfortable. But in some context, the church has to talk about these things. This is a, a, a crazy story that if sexual something took place, Canaan gets cursed. Now, it was, I, I, I think Noah obviously gets drunk and getting nude is not a good idea. Now, you could say, well, he was in his tent. Okay, wherever he was, the point is, it, you can't do something to someone when they cannot give consent and they're in a vulnerable state. That's where it, they need to be protected not i'm not saying excuse their behavior not saying that they don't have any responsibility i'm saying though no one can do anything to them i can't stand when i hear of a story well what was she wearing what where was she at what what has that got to do with it violence happened to her that's what you should be focused on that is a very important lesson from this story now, I don't know what happened in that tent. I don't know. I can read all of speculation. I mean, we got some Jewish scholars believing that they castrated their father. I mean, that, that's, that's taken, I mean, there's some crazy speculation going on here. The best argument we have is that the, the whole idea of uncovering the nakedness does seem to be a euphemism for sexual intercourse. Why Canaan is cursed? Clearly, he, he was involved in it somehow. Why isn't Ham? It, 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 it's... I mean, you, you, can, you can offer your own speculation, but I just want you to get those two things. The two stories, the two things I want you to take from this is this, that it demonstrates that no matter, we can purge the whole world of sin, as long as we exist, sin still exists. And they get off the, the boat and well, it meant the sinful nature came with them because you can destroy all, look, the only way to get rid of all sin on the earth is to get rid of every human being. As long as one of us exists, sin is going to show up, all right? Okay, yes, someone just said the attitude of blaming the victim has been going on for a long time. It has. Okay, God, hopefully, I'm hoping that I'm not the only one who thinks that way. I know this is, is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable, but so, so we'll just summarize. So we, I just want you to see that this shows the existence of the sinful nature even after the flood. And number two, yeah, I mean, Noah's drunk. Noah's nude. I, by no means is any of that justifiable, right? But you can't do something to someone in that vulnerable state. When someone's in a vulnerable state, whether they got themselves there because of their own sin, they don't need people to take advantage of them and abuse them. They need someone to cover and protect them. That is the right thing to do. 
Now, we typically talk about this as a lot of times we kind of just turn this story into like, well, see, when you see someone in sin, the right thing to do is to back up and cover them because love covers a multitude of sin. We try to kind of remove the sexual violence and the nudity and, uh, and that from the story, which I think then we lose our voice to deal with these issues that the culture is talking about. The culture talks about these things. The culture talks about consent. When I was in the military... I mean, there was lots of bad things that went down with sexual assault and, and a lot of mess. I mean, you probably read about some of the horrible things happening in the military and the investigations that happened. But I remember going to different, we had to go to different training about sexual harassment, about rape. And it was constantly said, if someone is drunk, they cannot give consent. If someone is drunk, they cannot give consent. Meaning that Lot's daughters... And Genesis rapes their father. Meaning women can be just as guilty of the practice as men. I'm glad the Bible Bible demonstrates that. But this story in Genesis 9 is just, why is Canaan being cursed? Like, like, did 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 you ever ask that question? Why is he getting cursed? What did he do? What did he do? It's Ham who sh- who saw, and it's Ham who goes out and, and tells. Like, what what is going on here? There's something going on in that story. All right, there's more I could say. There's more I could say, right? But I, I kind of want to leave it just kind of there. Just kind of, I kind of just threw a lot of things out, and I'm just going to leave it there. And and I'm not going to answer every question. I'm not going to cross every T. I'm not going to dot every I because I want you to pick it up and go, man, I, I've never given this much thought. And man, you just made me very uncomfortable with that. I, I makes me uncomfortable even talking about it, right? I'm sweating even talking about it. I didn't, I don't want to go through what happened in my house back when I was in high school with, with that girl. I, I don't want to go back through that, but it could have gone horribly, 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 horribly wrong. And if I would have done anything, I would have been horribly, 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 horribly guilty. And I felt, and I, and I think, and I feel that if I would not have basically, I basically stayed, I basically stayed outside the, the bedroom and, and uh, lay down next to the door and stayed in front of the door so that nobody could get in. In fact, I, I, it got so bad. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to go through everything, but I had to get my father's gun in order to ensure that no one got in the room. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a saint. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm just showing you that that how I could have I, I, everything could have gone horribly wrong that night. Everything could have gone horribly wrong that night. Everything. All right. Everything could have gone horribly wrong. Because my my first reaction was a sinful one was like, oh, here's the girl. That, she, she likes me all of a sudden. This is wonderful. This is great. I, I was like, OK, this is this is amazing. It was not a believer at the time. This is amazing. This is great. This is what I've been waiting for. I've been, I've been wanting and thinking about this forever. So my first reaction was not godly in any way, shape, or it was ungodly, 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 ungodly. Could have gone horribly wrong. You say, well, what, what made you, I, I don't, I can't even tell you why, I, 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 I can't even tell you why I ultimately did somewhat the right thing. I can't even tell you why. I don't really know why. I I don't, I can't tell you why. It's just, I'm just, the grace of God is the only thing that kept me from, from doing that. 
Um, someone just mentioned in verse 24. Yes, the, 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 the wording is so confusing. Uh, Genesis 9.24. Let me go look at this really quick. Genesis 9.24. All right. Um, and Noah woke from his wine and knew what his youngest younger son had done unto him. Uh, younger, uh, his, in verse, it, yeah, is Ham. Yeah, the his would seem to refer to, to Ham. Absolutely, not Canaan. I, I, I agree. It, it, it seems very confusing. Unless we read it this way, and Noah woke from his wine and knew what, yeah, I, what, Ham's younger son had done unto him, right? Um, and Noah woke from his wine and knew what his, yeah, his younger son had done unto him. Yeah, his younger son. Does the his younger son refer to Noah's younger son or does it refer to Ham's younger son? If it, I mean, since Canaan is the one cursed in the next verse, you almost have to read that he, when he says he, that he knew what his younger son had done, it has to be he knew what, Ham's younger son had done. That, that's the only possibility. I, I don't know. I don't know. It is so confusing. So confusing. All right. Okay, I'm, I'm just waiting to see if anybody else has anything else to say. I know all of a sudden you got dead air and you're like, what just happened? Now, all of our connection seems good, and the green light's still on for Church One, so it looks like all of our connection lasted, so that's good. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, it would make more sense that it's Ham's younger son. It would make more sense. It's just written really weird, and it's written very, like, confusing. So, but that's why the Jewish rabbis do all of that. Well, it was, it, it, they changed the story and there was an editor and they, they just basically destroy any argument that the Bible is the inspired word of God. So, but there we have it. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I'll follow up discussion. Please have it in the Discord channel. I always love that. And if you have any thoughts and what lessons jump out, at, if, if, if something sexual took place here, what lessons jump out at you? You may disagree with my whole thing about trying to talk about, you know, victim blaming, but victim blaming and victim shaming has got to stop. I mean, it's, it's just, it's been happening way too long. It's been happening way too long. And I think men and young and, and boys turning into men need to be taught about consent. They need to be taught. I mean, when I was in high school, I mean, guys like to brag about getting girls drunk. They, 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 they thought that was like the, that, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we could get into some blunt discussions. That was, that was the thing. Get the girl drunk and then her inhibitions are down like that. And it's like, no, that is evil, 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 evil. And the church should be the leading one screaming that that is evil. All right. It shouldn't take, it shouldn't take quote unquote liberal feminists to point it out. The church should be pointing it out. All right. Yeah, that. Okay. I'm just going to leave it there. In fact, I, I, I think there's nothing more I can say. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. God bless.